The next African story will be written by Africans. Meet the people using technology, innovation, and entrepreneurship to craft this new narrative. This is Building the Future Podcast with your host, Doton, coming up today on Building the Future. The macroeconomics has killed entrepreneurs more than even power or any of these things has. Like, who says that today they came in at 300, tomorrow it's not 1,000? You know, we were hearing rumblings of 1,000. There were reports by JP Morgan, Morgan Sally saying the Nile was going to hit 1,000 if certain measures were not put in place. So that guy that gives you money at 300, next time he's trying to pull it out at 1,000, what happens to him? It's totally gone. You were giving him confidence that you were going to do this deal at 200 before and telling him that Wari was on TV saying the Nile is going to stay at 200, we're not going to devalue. They said that five or ten times. The CBN government reiterated he wasn't going to value a lot of times and he still went ahead and did it so imagine the risk if someone had made that bet on you and you had put your faith in that it's debt you should mark this date on your calendar 21st to 22nd november 2017 that's when i'm hosting the second series of high growth africa summit last year the high growth africa summit 2016 was lit we had over 350 entrepreneurs and investors across nigeria other african countries uk and us and we had loads of great speakers this year it's going to be bigger and better it's happening in lagos we expect to gather more than 750 entrepreneurs and investors this is not your average conference the focus will be about learning how to build, scale, and fund your own business in Africa. There will be workshops, seminars, and masterclasses on practical stuff like how to validate a startup idea, how to grow your business through digital marketing, how to hire and manage a software development team, key questions investors will ask you before taking a meeting. The sessions will be taken by entrepreneurs who have been in the trenches and have battle scars to show, and investors who are currently taking big risks on African startups. To attend this conference, you need to register at highgrowthafrica.com. That is H-I-G-H-G-R-O-W-T-H-Africa.com. It's happening on the 21st to 22nd November 2017 in Lagos, Nigeria. The ticket is less than $30 for general pass and $100 for the investor pass. But the ticket price goes up as we get closer to the conference. Go to highgrowthafrica.com and register now. That is H-I-G-H-G-R-O-W-T-H. Africa.com and register now. My guest today is Akin Jones, the founder and CEO of Ella Credit. Yeah. Ella Credit is a lending platform. I provide credit to people. Um, well, Akin, I've heard good stuff about you and I've heard fantastic things about your business and how you're raising money, how you wear it up to the highs and lows, and how you're becoming one of the never-dying company that is always coming out the other hand better. Welcome to Building the Future. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Let's start with your fundraising. Yeah. You had some of the most challenging fundraising story in the ecosystem. Tell me about that. You know, all in all, lending is an attractive industry. There is a lot of interest and we saw it as an attractive industry too. We initially started Ella Credit kind of as a portfolio company for our larger company, Ella Capital, and then we kind of just put all hands on deck and just totally focus on Ella Credit to grow the business. So you started Ella Capital initially yeah. to be investing exactly. in companies, and startups or... Exactly, startups and businesses. And, and, then, you spotted and, and then you found out that some of the infrastructure problem it has to do with money. Yeah. Like, Let me solve that. 
Exactly. And then you started giving money out to businesses? Uh, yes, we initially started giving money out to small businesses, but then we pivoted into consumer lending totally with Ella Credit. And Why did you? There was a huge opportunity there, and there was a huge need. Banks don't lend. Even today, call your bank. They're not giving you money. Banks don't lend. You, you talk to five out of every seven Nigerians, and they'll tell you banks don't lend. How many people can get a loan, apart from guys that work at maybe Mobile and all these top blue chip companies? There's no real credit system in the country. You can't build anything anywhere in the world without credit. And Nigeria just presents a huge opportunity for credit. Now, there are three key reasons why banks don't lend. Information. There's just not enough information on people, on credit bureau databases. Regulation. Sometimes regulation can be a little archaic and it doesn't always work. And then last is automation. How can banks truly focus and believe in automation? Some banks are taking strides to that, but do they believe? Are they indoctrinating their teams into that process of real automation? Or is just, hey, let's have a party and do a launch of some new product or some new, you know, just for because it's cool to do. Well, it has to, to do, do with the, the, yeah, you know, no. the bank. Banks are not supposed to, I believe, too fast. They're, they're supposed to be very conservative. And that's why when you hear, hear a lot of fintech uh, startup founder talking about, oh, we need to disrupt that. But banks are built to be conservative. Exactly. So, I agree. Many. But then if they're built to be conservative, I think the second part should be they should figure out a way to also support startups. You know, they'd rather spend a million dollar ad on a CNN ad than take a risk and have a portfolio, a risk portfolio. It might not be their fault. Because they're targeting guys that have money in Dubai and China and high net worth individuals rather than the staff. But But that's what we move the needle for banks. They're giving two million naira or $50,000. We shouldn't be too quick to say that. We've seen the telcos in a lot of these markets become more powerful than the banks. We've seen telcos become more powerful. Why? Because they figured out a way to access the bottom of the pyramid. They figured out a way to access true revenue generating clients. And that's where regulation comes in. If the telcos were allowed to actually do banking in its own true form, they'd probably have run the banks out of business already. They'd probably be the largest Because you think the that the biggest opportunity lies in lending to the bottom of the pyramid and, oh. and enabling transactions exactly. faster. And that's where the biggest opportunity lies, all in all, but there's still plenty sweet spots. You know, like there's housing. There's a housing crisis. We all have to pay two, three years up front. A lot of these consumer lenders are surviving because top Three loan uses you'll find for most people is housing, healthcare, and education. You have to pay school fees down, the school, your kids' school fees. You have to pay two years' rent. In America today, if they ask people to go and drop $40,000, $20,000 to rent an apartment, even for a year, but not a lot of people have that much liquidity. So how is it that in Nigeria, we are coming up with such insane amounts of liquidity? And well, yeah, it's, a, it's a function of liquidity and an economy, right? So yeah. why would a bank lend you money when they know in the big scheme of things, a lot of people don't handle a lot of money? And there's no means for you to actually pay it back. The number of people that can pay it back is limited. So why would they want to focus that on that? That is where, thank you very much, now you've presented our problem. That's what we're all trying to solve. That's where technology comes into play. Everyone somehow has some kind of structure. Not everyone, but at least a good percent of the population. Let's just say there are, what, 190 million people in Nigeria. Let's roughly say 30 million people have some sort of income. Why not try and solve a problem for those 30 million? I've seen a lot of people try to solve problems for the, on the bottom of the barrel. I've seen a lot of people try to solve problems for the top of the pyramid. How many people are really trying to solve problems for the people who keep this economy going? So the middle class, basically. Yes. So looking at the middle class, people that have some liquidity or just have some spending. I wouldn't even call it middle class. I would say if you earn 20,000 naira a month, are you middle class technically? 20,000 naira a month? Are you middle class? Would that person have enough spending? Exactly. So that's left for you to find a way to structure it. That's left for you to plug into the employer. That's left for you to work with employers, try and find out to guarantee it. We really thought through this ecosystem in a very deep, especially this lending ecosystem, in a very deep way. 
like, and it really came down to, do we want to give our money to people and not have them pay back? Because we are not a charity. If we had raised funds from maybe some of these foundations, then it's a whole different ballgame. We've put our money where our mouth is. Most of the money in this business has come from people who believed in us, who took that chance on us. You know, and so we're not going to, we don't want our investors at the end of the day to go home empty-handed. But do the dynamics work? You know, we've had to survive a devaluation in lending. That's debt. I wonder how some of these guys survive. But we've had to all survive that. That's total debt, especially when you're getting foreign money, you know, and you're, or you're looking for foreign money. And the local banks won't give you money because, you know, number one, the local banks aren't in the business of lending to anybody. How do you balance that? You're targeting the middle of the pyramid, if you want to call it that. I'm targeting employed people. I'm targeting employed people, 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 people that who have pay, the form, potential to pay. Exactly, who have the potential to pay them back. Okay. Yeah. So let's go back to your funding story. Yeah. Okay. So, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, you have some of the most interesting funding stories. Yeah. You had a big time shit that you had to pull out of or pull that off, fail to <laughs> at the end. Tell me about that story. You're talking about the opportunity that lies in lending in Africa, and that's why a lot of interest. But what actually happened with your own funding? Uh, no, you know, we, we started the business July 2015. First month in, we had a term sheet from a large New York family office, a huge investor. He, How did you get them? Totally random. Like a friend of mine saw our pitch deck. We've learned from Silicon Valley, don't put too much in your pitch deck because we had like a 60-page pitch deck, market research, knowledge, a very strong team. We recruited people from Standard Chartered. We recruited people from Renaissance Credit. You know, we brought in and technology you were experts. Them. You know, some of them came just of goodwill. You know, everybody saw the vision. We were able to communicate our vision of what we're trying to build and where the opportunity stayed in the market. And we could also sell that same vision to the foreign investors. When first call off with them, they were so excited. They had already given us a $4 million term sheet, ready to tack on another three in debt. It was a done deal. You know, funding agreements were already being signed. It was one of those things. We got into the Barclays Accelerator. This was announced there, you know. The Barclays Accelerator in, in South Cape Africa. In Cape, Cape Town. Town. Yeah, so, so you're one of the earliest people in Barclays Oh, yeah, we were the first. So we didn't do the Techstars version, but we did the Barclays Accelerator in Cape Town. Initially, we started as a consumer lender, like a pure play consumer lender. But that was when we really started to adopt technology. That's when we really started to believe that this could work. That was one of the first processes. And then, we, you know, we started to talk to the banks and we're working on partnerships with the banks. But, you know, it's, it's like a catapulting effect. Recession starts to kick in. People start to announce. Barclays starts to announce they're leaving Africa. That accelerator is handed over to Techstars. Just a lot of... But then at that time, you now had this huge New York family office. Exactly. Got interested in you. Yeah. They reached out to you. Or somebody... There was, a, there was a mutual contact. There was a mutual contact over a cocktail or something. Yeah, exactly. I'm just trying to tease out what can, what can, what can people to... do yeah, to get that kind of... Have... You didn't have, engineer it. Have people who've known you. People who've known you for a while can, are the only ones that can vouch for you. Because there are going to be a lot of filters. Like if somebody asks about you, there are going to be five guys who say something kind of weird. But there, there's going to be one or two people who can say, one thing I know is that guy's not going to lose your money. That guy's going to build your business. That guy wins. He's a winner. And then, you know, you will need those guys who can vouch for you to that level of, you know, that hand this guy the ball and he's going to... Put it, it in the net. Run with, run with it. Then you started building a relationship and then it led to this township. Exactly. You know, we started building relationships. The person, the middleman was of credibility. One rule in fundraising, whoever introduces you is key. Like, do not have the wrong person introduce you. Because if the wrong person introduces you, people will take the intro, but he doesn't send a good light to you. So if you are introduced by someone of repute and credibility, always helps. Which is the story of the Silicon Valley, right? So mm. um, actually, startup in most startup tech ecosystem, in normally business uh, fundraising, there's always this big mystery of some business advisors mm. that have this black 
book of investors and they will charge you money to get introduced to them. And every, all the investors know that that's what is happening. That's what happened in normal business. But in Silicon Valley, it's goodwill. I meet you over coffee, I like your business, I introduce you to somebody who might be a friend of mine who can invest in you. And that goodwill and it's all about is, is what built that ecosystem. That's why people find it hard, difficult to understand if you're coming to that ecosystem that it's normal. Just introduce people and you don't expect anything back because somehow they will introduce it's, you as well. Because it's all functioning of trust. I think the biggest issue I have with investors here is the trust factor. You'll have investors tell you, hey, I'm going to install a CFO in your business. You know, I want this. You don't solve anything by installing a CFO in anybody's business. I invested in a company once that gave me numbers that didn't seem that I thought were better than they were. But it's all about trust. Like when you invest, you just look the other way and you leave it to the founder. He has two choices. He can either build his reputation or he can kill it. Those are the only two choices really we have as founders like, and, and as, as investors. So it's our job to reward the faith they've placed in us. And like Kendall said in his podcast, that you must reward that trust. Because we don't do this for ourselves. We do this for the next generation of startup holders. We're not only representing our startup, we're also representing Nigeria. We're also representing Nigerians. And Africans. And, and Africans. But, you know, the Nigerian always comes with bad connotations, always comes with negative connotations. And we're trying to change that. We're trying to change that both in the startup ecosystem and the global ecosystem. And that's why we have to be 10 times more ready than the other guy. We need to know our industries in and out. We need to tell our investors upfront, these are the risks associated with the business. Because there are risks associated with the business. Your business can fail. You know, like you are working in an environment that comes with all sorts of challenges that you can't So what happened to that money? So you got this time shit. Yep. Can you mention the name? Nah, nah, definitely you don't? Okay. not. Okay. Sign to confidentiality. Okay, sign to confidentiality. So they wanted to invest how much? Uh, about $4 million. About oh, $4 million. In equity. In equity. Yeah. So your business was valued at maybe... Roughly about 10. So that, could have, 10. that would have majorly diluted, you know, diluted us. But that was why a very high... Why would it dilute high, you? No, but that, that was a very high valuation. So, so Chris, high valuation, why would it dilute you? No, four, ten, you'd be selling roughly about what, forty percent of your business. Yes, base. but then you are the big, totally true. We, 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 nobody was complaining, so don't say. <laughs> yes. I'm not saying it like I'm complaining. Okay, okay. Exactly, but you know, we had a high valuation. Yes, then. the market looked good. Our plan looked good. Our team looked solid, and you know, these were guys we were ready to. Who saw as the as, as a team, as the guys who could drive that vision here in Nigeria? You know? And then the macroeconomy. Yeah, and the macroeconomics. So, so it's not. We have but a very good what, relationship what today. Tell us about what happened after. That, no, there's that, a devaluation of the currency, of the currency. in Nigeria. Yeah. And we needed lending capital. Some of it was going to be lending capital. And local banks at the time were just not willing to help. Oh, the $4 million, was it for operation or for lending? Some of it was for lending. It was for lending. Yeah. So what is the challenge with the local? You needed some money from the local bank as well. Yes, and local banks were willing to come in once you had that term sheet, you know, later. Once they were secured, see, the problem with local banks, they don't take risk. They take no risk. They need a 100%, actually 110% guarantee on their money. But the whole point of business is risk, right? Like we are taking a risk. We are taking a risk actually giving money to people doing what they are not doing. The risk has paid off well. We have over a 99% repayment rate. Now? Yes, right now. You know? Okay, we're going to talk about that. Just mm. Let's just dwell a bit about this fundraising stuff. <laughs> a lot of people that are interested in the fundraising. So the deal didn't go to because of the macroeconomy, yeah. right? The Nigerian currency fell, yeah. and it means that that deal doesn't make sense. But I still don't understand why. Why what? I mean, if the Nigerian economy, if the Naira fell, because you're being valued not on Naira, you're valued. But you're lending out to Naira. You're lending out in Your customers are in but Naira. But it's about your Your percentage. returns are in Naira. But it's about the percentage, right? No, it's right? not. It's about proportion. 
It's not about percentage, it's about returns. This is a lending business. Lending business functions on what are you going to make in interest income? You're going to lend out 10 naira. There's going to be interest expense. How much are you borrowing that 10 naira at for the debt piece? You know, what's going to be left? How much, kind of, how much dividends are you well, going are to you pay Are you borrowing out? money in dollars? Or yes, you dollars. You're not but but an investment was equity? Some equity, some debt. Ah, so an investment was some equity, some debt. Yes. And even okay. if it's equity, you're still going to convert equity, right? I know, but then you're bringing a million dollars to the economy. Uh-huh. You're lending that in naira. You're getting returns in naira. It means that when you bring a million dollars. It's more money. It's more money. That's yeah. your thought process. But yes. think about it. When the devaluation first happened, what was Naira in the black market? And then it's also about liquidity. How can people get their money out when it's time? Are okay. they comfortable? Who so says- there's a bit of doubt in the system. Yes. The macroeconomics has killed entrepreneurs more than even power or any of these things has. Like, who says that today they came in at 300, tomorrow it's not 1,000? You know, we were hearing rumblings of 1,000. There were reports by JP Morgan, Morgan Sally saying the Naira was going to hit 1,000 if certain measures were not put in place. So that guy that gives you money at 300, next time he's trying to pull it out at 1,000, what happens to him? It's totally gone. You were giving him confidence that you were going to do this deal at 200 before and telling him that Buari was on TV saying the Naira is going to stay at 200, we're not going to devalue. They said that five or ten times. The CBN governor reiterated he wasn't going to devalue a lot of times. And he still went ahead and did it. So imagine the risk if someone had made that bet on you and you had put your faith in that. It's debt. It's automatic debt. So you don't blame them. But you know what you do is you go back to the drawing board, which is what we did. And we raised capital both locally and internationally. So, we so did, you went and raised more money. Oh yeah, later. we did raise more money. And we did raise money. But, but what, what changed between the money that you raised later and the money that didn't, the four million that fell through? We were more prudent. We didn't want as much money as we wanted before. We had to go back and look at our business model. Do we want to do pure play consumer lending and, you know, or do we want to do a pay later style app or do we want to do any, you know, we have to look at our business model in total and say, how much risk are we willing to take? And how scalable is our business idea? And is this something that can be replicated, not just in Nigeria, but across the world? One thing I noticed is that people call me from Brazil, from China, about our business model. Our business model was something that people were clearly interested in. What is unique about your business model? The ability to two things, get the employer to use his money to lend to his employees and then you take a cut of it. Okay, break that down for me. How does that work? First step is you integrate into a company. The HR or whatever can easily upload their files or their employees. I don't want to give out too much on proprietary data or what we do to you. So right there you have all the information for employees. You know, you have a lot of data on that. Then you also... And, and the HR gives you that? Yes, exactly. Okay. So you're working with both either HR, human resources, you know, or you know, various divisions of the company. I don't want to give out too much. But you know, to get information. The first key part is information. When you get that information, everything changes. Every, now, it's all about how you use that information, how you plug in, how those employees can instantly benefit you. You're also going to give those employees in the future a wide array of products, minus just lending. But then what you've created is you've created Uber for employee lending. So whereby, just like Ordin and Uber, those same employees in that organization can go ahead and just... And they repay from their salary. Exactly. So there are two choices, yes. But that's the main one we prefer, which is the repay from their salary. So an employee can say, my child is about to go to university in the UK. He doesn't need to talk to us. He just and he says, that. I want to go to, say, I needed that money. Mm. I needed 18,000 pounds yeah. because I want my child to go to university in the UK. Mm-hmm. I'm handing $50,000 a year. I cannot afford this money in bulk for now. I'll just go to this app that my company has partnered exactly. with. Dep- and Depending on, there are also different parameters. Certain companies will say, my employees can't take over a million. Certain companies will say, my employees can't take over 700,000. Why would they have to set that parameter? Why we, not you, based on the data that you Because you have to discuss, we also evaluate the company's cash flows. There are two parts to it. Can the company repay you? Don't assume that every company you see out there is in they good financial They cannot pay, that means they're not paying salaries. Because you're taking money from the salaries of the Yeah, company. but not every company pays salaries on time, not every company can pay, not every company, some companies also 
need to understand what their employees' bandwidth and all sorts of things are. Like some are smaller businesses. These kind of parameters have to be set. So if you go on our website, you can also see where loan parameters can be set by the employer. Now you can take the whole array of what we'll offer you. But our uniqueness of the model, which is you're focusing on businesses. Yeah. So it's B2B2C. Yes, B2B2C. Um, you're focusing on businesses gives you some advantage, which is your customer acquisition exactly. is low. Yeah. One guy <laughs> gives you 10,000 people. Yes, and exactly. then your management, your customer account management is also maybe a bit low. Exactly. Although your sales cycle will be longer. Yes. But when you get them, you get them in drops. And it also gives some guarantee that these people are handing money. Exactly. And, and sends investor comfort to investors who say, Mm. I might not know Ella Credit, but I know some of their clients. I know this, that, 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 that. I know they have 50 million with this company, 70 million borrowed to this company, 20 million borrowed to this company, 10 million borrowed to this company. Who guarantees? We do. We take all the risks. You take all and, the risks. So not the company. You don't put any risk on the company. And you okay. shouldn't. Okay. It's not the company's responsibility. That's where your analysis comes into play, your risk management strategies. I think the core part of this model that just needs to be figured out totally on our part is funding. Constant funding, because you know the demand is astronomical. But how do you build funding channels that scale you to the next level? So you said your repayment rate is ninety nine percent. Yeah, that's massive for any lending. The best I've heard is ninety five percent. Yeah, and is this because of the uniqueness of your? It's because we get yeah. It's because of the uniqueness of the model. The model is built to scale and reduce risk. To be able to build an, a global African business, those are the kind of things you need to really focus on. Nigerians in general are very afraid of risk. That's why a lot of our investments go into real estate. And you need to be able to build something whereby people have that same level of comfort. Okay. So we talk about the fundraising. Right? Something else I want to ask you about some of the challenges that you went through recently about competition. Mm. Okay. And I want it to be open here. There was another company that launched similar to you and you have some relationship with this company. You were working in the same building. Tell me about that. I think I think it was And you need to mention the names of the company. I will if you don't. <laughs> I probably won't. Okay. <laughs> I will mention the name of the company because yeah. I might actually get them here at, at some point as well. But let me know what what actually went down with this steep competition that happened with another founder that you were close with that tried to do what you were doing as well. We won't say necessarily try to do what we're doing. We were diversified initially into we had a little platform called Exchange that was for business, SME invoice discounting. We had credit that was for consumer, and we had community that was supposed to be for money pooling. So all in all, yes, kind of they did go into one of our lines of businesses, but it's fair. All is fair in love and war, right? <laughs> you know, we did have a close relationship. I think the only problem we had was we were not informed. We and do, they were trying to launch. Yes, this. yes, exactly. You know, we didn't we didn't see any issues with you know what you know per se with what they did. I expect everyone to try in the third world market. It, it would happen. Everyone will try to, especially when they see how well you're doing, you know, like your metrics, they see how you're growing. Are they investors in your company? No, no, but at one point, we did work together. So that's another rule, always build in-house technology. When we first kicked off, um, the guys, they outsourced their technology too. We used the same For thing. their previous company? Yes, for exactly. Their business? So we used the same people. So that led to a lot of mutual... Were you sharing office as well? Yes, and we shared an office. We shared a lot, you know, we shared an office. You shared, shared development teams Development together. teams and through them, but we shared a development team. After a while, you know, we decided, you know, we had to start building our own in-house capabilities, and that's what we did. But in a CTO development team, you know, you were putting your core IP at risk and you were functioning off. But, but for non-technical co-founders, they need to start from somewhere. So they might need to start with them. Exactly. And that's source. what we were. So we, we learned the hard way, I guess, for lack of a better word. One thing I did learn from YC, always find a technical co-founder. I don't even think technical co-founders should start a business without a non-technical co-founder. I think they, that those synergies 
are very key. You need, you know, because I had a lot of experience in investment banking and technology, technology investment banking. So I did TMT, technology investment banking, and uh, you know, telecoms, technology media investment banking. I still have a good verse knowledge of the technology to a certain extent, but you, you definitely need a CTO. You need someone who understands development work, someone who you can communicate with, who you can build a relationship with. Because startup life is about constant iteration. I think the biggest mistake that Nigerian startups make is that they build a product and just sit on it and expect it to just keep growing. We have iterated at least six, seven times on our platform. Like every week, we, you know, we look for things. You get customer feedback, you iterate, you do A-B testing, you see what things feel like. And what, change your product as well. And, exactly. and pivot. And, and if push comes to show, Yes, you then pivot. you can pivot. Uh, so what happened there was um, for you, you were initially working with them uh, to some extent. There's a convergence, sharing development team, sharing office, mm-hmm. and then they started something similar to you. How did you feel? Apart from the fact that it was, there was another competition close to mm-hmm. home, did you feel betrayed? Not really. I'm happy that everyone is doing what they're doing. You know, the only thing is just inform me. Like, I just wanted to know. That was all. Like, you know, sometimes it's just weird when you find things out from the media and stuff like that. Especially since we're in the same office building. You have to realize that's the real, you know, we can't be in the same office building doing the same business. It's just always, and it doesn't even have to be. They are now more focused on invoice discounting and SME lending. We are more focused on employee lending. So at the end, so now there's a clear divergence between what we are both selling. But... The beauty of lending is people pivot every time. Like, you're lending. You're both technically lending. So nothing stops us because we're already connected to companies from offering those companies ancillary services. And so, like, because we, we already have that platform, we already have that technology built, we just don't believe in that model because we don't believe that there's a true analytical way to fund SMEs yet in Nigeria. And it's something, it's a project that, you know, that's always been near and dear to our hearts, but we don't believe in a real technology risk-free way to fund those startups yet. So it looks to me, I've spoken to quite a few number of uh, lending platforms in Nigeria. It seems you guys are doing different things now. So you are funding employees through their company relationship. PayLater is funding anyone. Anyone, exactly. And and their unique selling point is you get loan within 10 minutes or 5 minutes. Lydia is funding businesses through their invoices, right? Exactly. Red Money is doing what? Consumer lending. Consumer Just lending anyone. as well. Exactly. And you're all trying to do what banks should be doing. So you're disrupting banks in different ways. Exactly. But you're picking different aspects of it. Perfect. Where do you see all of this go? Because in markets like this that is new, they always over, it always go back to there is consolidation that will happen at some point. Mm. In your own opinion, what, where do you see Capital and scale. Who's going to be able to scale the fastest? Who's going to be able to raise enough money to scale the fastest? And that's key. You know, like, and it's not just foreign capital. When you're in lending, you're going to need a lot of local capital. You're going to need a lot of institutional money. And then the third roadblock will be regulation. Because once you get to a certain point, then regulation really, really kicks in. You know, now you can skirt through as a technology platform providing technology services and putting your money at risk. But as you scale to a certain point, then you can't put your money at risk anymore. You have to get other people's money to be put at risk. Then you got to get more regulated and that might affect your ability to expand because if you get certain licenses, it requires you to open a branch, put a safe, someone requires to open 30 branches, put safes in every branch. When you're building a total cashless business that really is operating from outside the country and you want to be able to run multiple branches, multiple countries from one, one location. I'm just concerned about this consolidation that might have. How do you see banks playing? Because you mentioned talent and capital. Yeah. They've got lots. They might not have, they might not be as nimble in technology. But in consolidation, is the guy with the most money and the guy exactly. with the most talent that will win, right? They, so they ask do who, you see bank as an existential threat at the end of the day for they, all of you? Yes. 
The banks are the threats. You know, they ask who gives me sleepless nights, it's the banks. They talk to everybody, but they do whatever, they'll take your idea, they'll do it. Because they ask themselves, do we have the pay later CEO in this office? Do we have an LA credit guy, same talent, or can we bring him in to do it for us? But the problem, what they don't understand, why the startup ecosystem works everywhere else in the world, is that banks are too big. If you want to iterate at a bank, that's six months. To launch a product is 12 months. And you do marketing, and you do, and you do budget, and they're too big and they're not nimble. And the tr- trick is... But, but that's a cultural thing. Some of those things that you mentioned here, I don't think they're a functional thing, they're just um, it's a cultural thing. I don't think it's cultural. I think banks are banks have certain CBN mandated regulations that slow them down. It's not that they don't want to be nimble, it's just that the whole epitome of banking, the whole culture of banking requires certain internal control processes that will slow down 50 processes that a startup like a Stripe or something can just wake up in the morning and code and there's, I mean, there's usage and iterate and scale and win customers. And so the banks need to understand that some of those things will not be their core strengths ever because of that speed. But they hold the capital. So the smarter move could be them to fund or provide those things. Acquisition comes after a trial period. But if you don't even take the test out on... I always say provide deadlines to these lending startups. Be it me, be it Lydia, be it whoever. Give them the proper deadlines that they need to scale. And I'm not talking one-for-one deadlines. I'm not talking for every $1 I bring, you'll take my money, hold it, and then you'll now give me the same money back in Naira, which is what they do now. I'm saying fund me. Like in the Silicon Valley, if you raise a million dollars in equity, the banks will give you $10 million in debt to online. They take that risk. They allow you to level up. They give you credit. Credit. That's the whole point. Credit. You know, you're all trickling down that credit so, down the and ecosystem. That can, that can make your runway to be longer and you can take better risk. Because you shouldn't lend equity anyway. You should lend debt. And you raise equity for operations, for technology, but in reality, debt is what you should be lending. So if you're raising money and then lending out that money, you are putting yourself in, you know, and it's too expensive. Mm-hmm. And then capital is too expensive. So key question here, how profitable is lending business? If you ask the true, all the lending startups and lending companies in Nigeria, it could be profitable. But what, what are the fundamentals? There's a cost of capital element of it. So you take deposits, that, okay. you know, that interest. So for every $1 that you lend out, how much are you expecting to make? <laughs> in reality, <laughs> maybe. It depends on what capital cost. I, I can't give, like, think about it. Let me give you an example. I charge a 36% annualized interest rate, 12 months. So let's say 3% a month, right? So that's 36%. But I'm going to borrow money. If I borrow from a family friend or somebody, he says, okay, I want to give you money, personal money. Here you go. Here's 100 million naira. He's going to give me at maybe 30% or 28%. Why? Because T-bills are in the twins, in the 20s. Or treasury bills. Yeah, exactly. So why is he going to put more risk in a lending tech startup? When so, treasury bills about... Exactly. You know, when he can make guaranteed Actually, money. Actually, I'm thinking bills. of doing that treasury exactly. bills, by the way. So, <laughs> I'm really thinking uh, of doing it because so, I just, it's just amazing. <laughs> it's better than most places in the world. Exactly. Right? It's, it's better than any... Like, you know, so it's like one of them... Everyone's just dumping money there. So yes. the government is competing with capital. See, the government and the banks are competing with capital. And it's sure, And the government is guaranteed. Government is guaranteed. So you have to now put a, a premium on that. I mean, just, you know, as an example, be a rent money, whatever. You know, they all now put a premium on that. So imagine that. So they're raising money, what, 28, 30%. They're lending out at 36%. What does it cost to run the business? It's not 6%. They're already in losses. You know, there's a cost of capital. There's a cost of, there's an operating expense and all that to the business. So they're already probably going to be in losses. So you see everyone running into lending like it's the best thing since sliced bread. Yeah, but the picture you paint to me that doesn't look attractive. It's only attractive when you... If you get the money from the cheaper source. 
when you know how your capital, it's a capital structure play. So that's when you see people focus on the technology. Oh yeah, we are doing risk management, data algorithmic, but lending in the end has been done since the beginning of time. And it is about understanding the capital structure and how you're going to make your money. Exactly. So, so you have to learn from somewhere that is cheaper than... Exactly. So the technology is only meant to reduce the OPEX cost of the lending as and well the customer as acquisition cost. Yeah, I'd say increase your... Or distribution return. capabilities. Yeah, and return rate as and well, return right? rate. You can evaluate better, right? But then at the end of it, fundamentally, you want to borrow money at less than 30 or 20% so that you can lend at 60%. And then you can still have 16% margin. But, Something like that. So And then have money for your operations, your... From that 16%. Exactly. And, you know, that which will shrink it too. But you also have to pay dividends back to your equity holders, which is why a lot of equity people invest in lending businesses because they want those dividends, right? So... You, are your investors investing based on dividend or are they investing with a big exit later? How many exits have you seen? Okay, so that's an interesting play. So a lot of people that when you're trying to get investors to get into Africa, you tell them this is a long play. Do not invest because you're trying to get dividend immediately. No. Because that actually changes the startup. Uh, because you want startups to think big and you want them to be able to take risk more. Right? Or even when they're making profit, you know, we had this discussion about profit. Yeah. You want to reinvest that profit rather than distributing it to your shareholders. Yeah. Your shareholders, are they looking for dividends or they want to... Oh, it's a big picture play. It's I a think, big picture play as well. I think, you know, you'll have one or two shareholders who are local investors who came in earlier who wanted to just invest for some kind of margin play. or But for the ones we've found in the last couple of months, definitely have all been understanding the vision and what so we're have mix. So you have a mix of people giving dividend and also people for the big play, big exit later. And I, I think they've I, all converged. You pla- no, no. They've converged. So, you know, it's left for the CEO to, you know, and the board or whatever to explain the vision. The reason why I'm deep diving into this yeah. is that there is a lot of investor education that needs to go on in Africa about, or even in Nigeria, let's start from Nigeria, about when you invest in startup. Mm-hmm. Startups are solving big problems and it's very risky, mm-hmm. and some of them have not even figured out their business model yet. So it's different from the established businesses where you have this five-year plan and you have to be making money in two or three years. Mm-hmm. Of course, you must, business is there to make money, profitability. But startup, by essence, is solving big problems and they want, they're still looking for repeatable, scalable business model. You're investing for a big play. Potentially, maybe they exit or somebody buy them or they make money later on and they pay you back. Mm-hmm. But when you start asking for dividend from year two, you'll be stifling the growth of that company. So there's a bit of that. Now you have some your investors who are expecting that initially. How did you manage to engage them and convince them to converge with Y Combinator who was investing in you? Which I think have a big play. Yeah, two different views. Constant communication. Hey, Mr. Investor, if you want returns, bring more capital. Like, we need to access more capital. Just communicating with them that, hey, these are the numbers. This is what's happening every month. We are building, we are doing our part. We are building a business. We are building a team. We're doing things the right way. But we need these guys to be able to. There's a bigger return play if we partner with the right people. And what's that bigger return play picture to you? What does that look like to you? Pa, you know, scaling pan, Pan-African scale. Just scaling across Africa. Exit IPO or being bought or just making a lot of money and then giving it out as a dividend? I think for lending, it's kind of always very tough to say what exactly your exit play you're seeing. IPO is always a good play. 
You know, everyone definitely wants to ring the bell. IPO in Africa or no, definitely Nasdaq or any, yeah, definitely not Nasdaq. Well. We are a US company, so definitely in the states. An acquisition too is always good if it's the right, you know, if it's the right acquisition candidate, because you're going to have to work for the candidate that, like, you know, whoever acquires you, you know, you'll have to transition, you'll have to be with them, you'll have to help them understand your. But pro- at least give your investors money. Yeah, exactly. But you know, I think that's what keeps me up at night too. I, I really, really want to be able to return. How much have you raised so far? <laughs> that we can't disclose. <laughs> exactly. Can you give us a ballpark? Tens of millions? Millions? <laughs> millions. Yeah. Millions. Yeah, but not tens of millions. Yeah, no, millions. And how old is the company? We're going to be two years on the 1st of July. Two years and you raised millions. Yeah. And most of it for your credit, right? Or, or for your operations as well? Oh, most of it's credit, but operations too. Yeah. So how big is your team? Uh, right now we're about 12 key members. Yeah. Okay, so it's not a large team then. Oh yeah, that's so all it's large. basically technology. Yeah, so we really do focus on technology and trying to cut out the you know. If I had my way, I'd want us to be six, seven in a room, really just mostly developers and you know, and a sales team. So you have your core sales, business development, and you find a way to use the companies that you partner with to scale. You know, you have to find a way to cut out as many intangibles as possible. How many loans are you giving out now? This year we're on target. We're on target for about two, three million dollars in loans. $2 million dollars loan per annum. Yes, that's what, you, that's yeah. what you're giving That's up. what I'm target for. That's more than most microfinance banks mm, in Nigeria. It is. It is. We're not, you know... So you're like operating like a big microfinance bank with 12 people. Which is the whole point of the whole exercise. You know, which is what we're building. We really want to change it into... Why can't we build a $100 million company with a 50-man team? You know, why can't we build a billion-dollar company with a 30-man team? I don't want... Three offices in VI, five in Medugri, seven in Canu. You know, like you want to be branchless. You know, you want to really just invest in tech. You know, and you really just want to plug in. What do your customers want? Money. What do you want? Risk management and an ability to get it back. Can you do all those things without the infrastructure surrounding it? Yes. Now, will regulation hamper you? Yes. So how do you solve that problem? Right now, you can solve it by equity and some certain licensing, but... How do you solve it as you scale bigger? How do you find a way with the most limited amount of regulation to be able to disperse the most amount of cash, get it back in time, and build a really strong business? And um, you finished my combinator recently. Yes, I did. Um, did you race after uh, at the end of the Yes, we did. Process. Is that your series A or just uh, many Because you've been to many. So you're one of those guys that have been to Y Combinator, you've been to Barclay Accelerator, and you've been to 500 Startup. Yes. And which other one have you gone to? No, no more, please. And you're taking lots of money for severally. How did that affect your valuation? Because I must assume. Barclays Accelerator didn't take any equity from us or money. Barclays didn't take yeah. money. So but they, they gave you money. They gave us access to banks. Okay. So the goal for Barclays was to plug in with a South African bank that was going to fund our loan book and help us scale. Okay. That's why we did that. But 500 Startup and White Community deep. Oh. How did that happen, actually? There are very few companies that have gone to boats. What was your experience? I mean, first of all, let's start, how did that happen? It just it kind of happened. So 500 Startup is considered an investor, not necessarily an accelerator. So they're an investor in us. Oh, you Why didn't company? go to the accelerator? We did, but they're an investor in us. You know, but we didn't finish it exactly for lack of. Oh, so when you started for Fortune Startup, yes, and then we we transitioned, and to then us. you switched to yeah, we transitioned that's not to loyal. <laughs> I wouldn't say it because was they're like, both competing, right? But we didn't see it as competing. We saw it as who do you guys care about? Do you care about us? Because we are the ones diluting. They still hold our equity. They both still hold our equity. So really, the cruel question comes out to: We are trying to win. We are trying. And to And you win. felt that you can get more from my fight white combinator. I will not say. I will not. You will not say that. But then you left Fortune Startup midway. 
You didn't graduate from 500 Startup. We technically are an alum of 500 Startup. Yeah, because you took the money and then you were with them for some time. And you didn't pitch at the demo day. We didn't pitch at the demo day. That's the culminating And then you switched to YC. And YC knew that you were in 500 Startup and they still went after you. It was just a whole convoluted process. Like we, we did one and one we got into the other and you know we decided to go with the other. That was it. You know, pretty much. How did... Um, Dave McClure and Monique feel about you going to their neighbor? Well, I think 500 was very helpful and very understanding. I think one thing I would commend 500 for is they are great guys. The company first. So they valued us first. They put company first, and that was all. They put the founder first. What does the founder believe is going to help him? It's not about what they believe, but what does the founder believe is going to help him win? And that was it. You know, we've always put company first. People act like we did it because we enjoy doing it or something. I would rather be in Lagos growing a business. But, you know, the real goal for all this for us was we put company first. We put investors first. We put everybody else first. Why you say you, we, you and your co-founders? For co-founders, yeah. So How many co-founders have you got? I have three co-founders. Three co-founders. And yeah. both, the three of you went to Mountain View. Uh, not all of us went. Not all of us went. Two of us went. Two of you went to Mountain View. So the CTO. And, and it almost happened at the same time. So from 500 startup and you joined Y Combinator. Let's talk about your experience at, uh, in the accelerator program, 500 and YC. How has that helped your business and shaped you? Of course, you've been in business for some time. How did that shape you? And being in Silicon Valley for one of the two most powerful accelerator programs in the world. It's been very helpful. You, know, you, you learn a lot. How, um, how did that change? Uh, Sam Altman was my group partner at YC. I mean, he's the president oh, so of what? group partner. Group so, partner. Yeah, so... Okay. In your group, In my was. group, directly. So it was, he was the guy you reported to. And it definitely was a life-changing experience. Like, they, you know, they've been through it. They've built billion-dollar businesses. And they, they're not naive enough not to understand the dynamics of the market, you know. And they don't put unrealistic pressures on you. You set a target, a metric goal. I'm sure anyone else who's been to YC, and you pick that metric and you try to grow it to the best of your ability to demo day. But then they understand there's even a more complicated process with lending companies everywhere in the world. So the, the problems we face here are not unique to us. That the only difference is they have more access to capital. They have a more stable economy. It's easier to integrate. It's easier to sell to customers. But customer acquisition costs on that side of the world too are very high because there are a lot of people competing for the same customers. So we got to speak to other renowned lenders and guys in the industry through their network. To, you know, they just could tell us the kind of things they were facing and just how they would navigate it in their own mind. Like, and then the capital challenges, you know, that it's hard. Like, it's, you're going to constantly face capital. Large banks face capital challenges. So who are you, Mr. Startup, not to face capital challenges when you're trying to lend out all these... And they help you navigate all of those things. And they introduce you to the right people. And, they, you know, they created that network for you. And for, uh, for that, you know, we'll forever appreciate them because in the end, that's really what, you know, you're there to learn from them on the technology side. Definitely my CTO benefited a lot from them. They're just sucking in all that knowledge, dealing with guys who've created Gmail, who've built different things, you know, built different platforms. There was definitely a lot of benefit. And um, you, when you came back from the Y Combinator, you didn't have to fix the investors here as well. Yes, exactly. One of the key questions that investors ask, the grapple with when people come back from Y Combinator is the astronomical valuation that you come back with. True. How did you address that? For me, it wasn't astronomical. Like, I was, in, I was an ex-banker. We've always had high valuations, like from day one. We've always had high valuations. Yeah, without, because we've always put together a strong business case. We're trying to build a business, a diversified business, a real business. So, like, we're trying to build a business. We're not, it's very easy to call startup startup, but we built it, we were, it's like calling rent money a startup, even though it's, what, five, seven years old. Like, but they built a business, and that's what we're trying to build too. The technology was definitely helpful because it helped us manage operations and scale with a lot less team members than our competitors, but 
we're really just trying to build a business. And that's, that's the difference. So your valuation reflects the kind of structure, the kind of team and opportunity. Exactly. So we feel like our valuation is fair. You know, our business, lending makes money. Yeah, Do you have lots of um, local investors that join post your accelerator programs? <sighs> Not really. I've focused a lot more on the foreign investors. I raised from local investors at really low valuation when I started. Really low valuations when I started. So at post your accelerator programs, most of the investors are international. Yeah, international because they can understand the valuation we're putting into the business now. Are you still raising money? Oh, yeah, well, lending, you're always raising money. It never stops. <laughs> exactly. So it never stops. So let's talk about the ecosystem. I'm talking about the Nigerian tech ecosystem. Mm. Um, so you have some of these vantage position of looking at things from both somebody who wants to invest in startups. Mm. So you probably see a lot of startups. Uh-huh. Who started your own startup. Yes. And you went through the challenge of raising money. Mm-hmm. And then also went to the Silicon Valley, raised money, mm-hmm. and then come back. So what is your view of the ecosystem in terms of the challenges that local entrepreneurs are facing and what they should be doing to address this challenge? I commend first that we want to start off with any entrepreneur in Nigeria automatically gets a full commitment from me. Like it's, Why? It's a hard, 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 hard game that doesn't sometimes even show you where the rewards lie. Like um, we haven't really seen a lot of exits. We haven't seen the right support per se from government. Instead, we've seen more regulation, more clamp down. We've even seen proposals of um, Senate asking to build some entrepreneurship um, union or bill or something like that. I don't even know. Like, so, you know, we've seen more complications versus seeing people ease the pressures of being an entrepreneur. The banks haven't helped. The investors haven't helped. Not their fault. It's their money. So investors have a right but to I would say that the government is doing, I mean, in fairness, I, yeah. I don't need to jump in here. Mm. So I had... Um, one of the special assistants to the vice president on economy and mm. investment on my podcast a few weeks ago. And he was talking about the ease of doing business. And he actually articulated a lot of things that the government is doing to make it easier for people to do business in Nigeria. So there are a few things that the government is doing. But the first key thing is power. Like, we spend how much on diesel? Like, Nigeria is one of those countries where we figure things out ourselves. We're not asking for help. We don't ask for help. We all start it. We all figure it out. And we just figure stuff out. Like, you know, I can, I speak to entrepreneurs every day. A very close-knit group of different entrepreneurs. Not the everyday celebrity entrepreneurs, but like real entrepreneurs that are in the system. And what we face is all, we all just, our own government. We are all just trying to make things So work. infrastructure needs to be fixed. Infrastructure right? is key. So that's the challenge that a lot of entrepreneurs face in Nigeria, right? Infrastructure, government policy, long Financing. Financing. I think financing is the most important one. It's very easy for people to say, financing is hard here. It's so hard. Like it's, to raise money in Nigeria is like pulling meat from a lion's mouth. Like it literally is that difficult. One, because there's always alternatives for people to put their money in. Real estate, T-bills, like things that people know if I wake up tomorrow, the like house is still going to sit there. So why would they want to give you money? Like it's, it's like so, And then you are telling them you are trying to disrupt something that has already been grounded in their minds that you know works a particular way. You want to come and disrupt it? Do you, like in this country, like you're asking them to take a little too much, to have a little too much faith in you. Now, and it's not their fault when they say no. They're not crazy now. There's a high chance you will fail because the path to failure is set up in so many little roadblocks. So I'm going to end this podcast by asking a series of um, uh, firearm questions. Sure, um, go ahead. Just need a few sentences answer to them. So the first question, what is the biggest business pain point that you're facing at the moment in your business? I'll say it's a mixture of, like, I've heard people say, 
talent, more visionaries, more people who are willing to challenge the status quo, who want to, who don't believe. Because there are a lot of people in the banking sector, like if you bring in traditional bankers, they're used to things being done a certain way. It's hard to break that from them to say, hey, why is it done like this? Why can't we do it like this? They'll say, no, because that's the way it's always been done. So trying to change a lot of traditional bankers that you bring in on certain, maybe the upside and other sides, into more visionary people who can try to always think, how do we change things? You know, like if you told someone Airbnb, would it work like 10 years ago? They say, why would someone come and stay in somebody else's house? It doesn't make sense. You know? So people that can think exponentially, we can think outside the box, we can think creatively, we can solve problems. Yes, problems. Does, and where the solution does not exist. Where it does not exist. And then the success is not guaranteed. Yes. So they can think, and that's startup, by the way. That is <laughs> the whole concept. But then hiring those people is key because you can either hire fresh off the boat people that you groom or you can hire some people with talent. And banking, you need a good mix of them, especially when you're doing anything to do with finance or, you know, fintech. You need a good mix of people who are already in, in, in the industry. What's your number one growth metric for your business? I think for us, it's repayment rates. I think. Which is 99%. You can't get better. <laughs> so now, you know, it's also disbursement. So now that we, you know, we, we believe our model works, it's how much of the money can we, how much money can we get out to help him? We want to help more people. We want to get out more money. So it's basically a business development play where you have to get as much business exactly. as so, possible you know, to join your I have a target for 2018. I want 50,000 people. I want to have given loans to 50,000 people. 50,000 people by 2018. That, and that requires about... And what's the average ticket size of these loans that we're talking about? We're talking average loan size is anywhere from one twenty to one fifty thousand. Oh, we just has one twenty to one fifty thousand. Yeah. We want to give it to fifty thousand people. Yes, one fifty. I want to give fifty thousand people one hundred and fifty thousand. One hundred fifty thousand. So that's massive. Yeah, I want to give out a lot of money in the next in the next two years, and that's that's where the sleepless night comes in. <laughs> Uh, thinking about people to give money to yes and uh, you know just and there are lots of people looking for money exactly they are and so we <laughs> want to be able to give out a lot of money to a lot of people and augment our capital sources make sure that we can figure out the right capital sources to also provide fair return to investors make the customers happy and you know represent brand Nigeria brand Ella which book are you reading at the moment why should white guys have all the fun? The Reginald Lewis story. So basically, you know, it's, it's a, you know. It's why should white guy have all the well, fun? Yeah, exactly. What's the thesis of the book? <laughs> or what's the premise of the book? Uh, he was in private equity, one of the first black men in private equity. And so he's, you know, you know, that's an old boys club and all that. So, yeah, he was one of the guys that cracked. It's a good book. It's a good read. It's an old book, but it's, it's definitely one of those. Which business is getting you excited at the moment apart from Mela Private? Uh, you know, I would say two businesses. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, of course, my good friend Kendall Tizetti, definitely, they have a lot of challenges, you know, infrastructure challenges. But, you know, what they are working with, with their limited resources and the vision they have for scale really, really excites me because we all need it. Why internet services are now like power. It's now a core need. And, you know, I'll also say Fiverr. Like, it's a business we looked at going into. I would say you know, Fiverr.ng, you know, housing is a core problem. No one should have to pay two years rent up front. No one should have to pay three years rent up front. No one can afford it, apart from slimming, for lack of a better word. Let me not call anybody out. But anyone in any kind of honest work, honestly, to pull out two years, three years rent up front is very difficult. It's, it's damn near impossible in any other country in the world. So that's a real pain point for a lot of people. And, you know, it's something that... Maybe I should get a bit of fiber on the show as well. Yeah. It's a good pain point. Yeah, definitely. It's good. I can... Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation, yeah, and I, I hope too. to get you back again after maybe we eat the one hundred fifty. 
50,000 people in the 150,000 Naira loan. Thank you for coming to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, pleasure, man. You've been listening to Building the Future podcast by Dalton. These are the interviews with entrepreneurs that are playing a key part in shaping the African future. And you'll be able to hear all their stories. For more, sign up for the weekly newsletter at thestarter.com. Our revolution will be televised. Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed the show. Before you go, I have a favor to ask you, and it will take 30 seconds of your time or less. It will mean a lot to me. If you like this podcast, you can easily let me know by going into iTunes, Teacher, SoundCloud, or wherever you download podcasts and subscribe. You can also go to our website, thestarter.com. That is T H E S T A R T A. And sign up for our newsletter. It will be a huge favor to me and it's really simple and easy. If you subscribe now, it will help us a lot. Thanks.